Welcome to the Sweet Fire Podcast, where we study and celebrate the lives of women who dare to let their fire light up the world. I'm your host, J.P. Mitchell, educator, author, speaker, and curator of great stories. The Sweet Fire Podcast was inspired by the picture book, Sweet Fire. Let's see what today's episode has in store. Today, we're talking to Ms. Olympia Della Flora, who is currently the first female and first person of color to serve as the superintendent in Marion City Schools in Marion, Ohio. She has received numerous awards and recognitions for her contributions to education. She obtained the highest certification a teacher can earn, national board certification, in early childhood and was named an emerging leader by the Association for Supervision and Curriculum Development, ASCD. One of her most humbling achievements includes delivering a TED Talk in 2019 titled Creative Ways to Get Kids to Thrive in School which has received over 3.5 million views. So just as a little bit of backdrop and context, I mentioned National Board Certification. Miss Della Flora, Olympia, as I call her, was a coach for me when I was going through the National Board Certification process. And I have known her to be always an advocate for educators and people bettering themselves. After she was my National Board Certification coach, She was my principal. I worked with her as a literacy coach in a building that turned from an F rating in our state of Ohio to a C. But anyway, so she is very much a leader, very much a forward thinker, very much a mover and shaker. And I'm really excited that she's with us today to talk about this sweet fire concept and how it connects to her. I know that's a super long intro, (laughs) but I just want to say thank you for being with us today and welcome. Thank you, Jahari. So I want to ask you, what resonates with you about the Sweet Fire concept and how do you see yourself there? Well, I think the main thing that resonates with me with the Sweet Fire concept is that, you know, I work with children every single day and and have done so for many, many years. And every child is uniquely different. And even when, you know, children come from the same biological parents, they can be extremely different in personality and characteristic and aptitude, ability. So I think that this idea that everyone has this light inside of them and, you know, we have to figure out ways as educators, as parents, how do we foster that? You know, how do we support that fire, whether it It's something that we can relate to or not, that we encourage our children to embrace, you know, that inner fire so that it can grow and continue to be lit. Because obviously there are lots of things in the world now that impact our children, that impact our society, that can easily dim that light or put that fire out. And we want to be able to build resilience in our our children and say, you know what, if I have this desire to do and these are my abilities and my strengths, you know, I'm going to embrace them and be able to make them work in a positive way for them. And I think there was a second part you asked me about. How does it resonate with me? How do you see yourself in this concept or this message? Yeah, I mean, I when I read the book, it was like instantaneous that I was able to 
relate to the book because, you know, the other thing is I know that the story is about young girls and, you know, fostering that. But as we grow older as women, you know, that the, the opportunities or the situations that try to dim our light still continue. You know, it's not like as soon as you become 18, you're not going to face challenges and barriers to embracing that sweet fire. So, you know, again, it's just I think that somebody said this about the book, like it's not just for little girls, it's for all of us, no matter what age you are. I mean, I can even see seniors being able to relate to this book. And I do spend a lot of time with seniors or people who are older than me. I just have, you know, compassion for people who grow old and, you know, it can become lonely at that stage of life. You know, people have lost their spouses. They have lost lost a lot of their friends to death. They're not able to drive and do the things that they used to do. So, you know, going into nursing homes and spending time with the elderly, it, it kind of helps to keep my fire going because you hear about their hopes and their dreams and that they still have, a lot of them still have this will to live despite those things that have happened that have attempted to dim that desire, that that fire, that love for life inside of them. So I really truly respect that. And, and again, I see this concept being applicable to, you know, women at whatever age you might be at. I so agree with you. And I didn't initially realize that because I first wrote it kind of in honor of my daughter and all the other girls who I don't know out there who really have this ability to be respectful of other people and kind to them, but also hold their boundaries. And I saw that in her as an infant and it kind of blew me away. Not I saw the fiery part along with the sweet part as an infant, but as I watched her as a toddler, I saw her kind of stand up for herself when kids would try to take her toy or whatever. And I started to think about all the other girls out there who needed to hear an affirmation like, this is a good thing. Keep this, you know, keep this fire. But like you said, over time, I realized, wait, this is kind of for all of us because we all have a sweet fire inside who may be at different stages of her freedom or her fullness. And some of us may have been shut down, you know, kind of like you said, some of us may have had to learn how to protect and honor our own fire. I remember reading in my 20s, Oprah Winfrey and certain people would say, when I turned 40 and when I turned 50, I didn't care what anybody thought. And I just became, you know, free. And I remember thinking, do you have to wait till you're 40 to get that? Like I wanted I wanted to know that I could have that kind of confidence without having to hit a 40 or 50 year milestone. Now, no, knowing what I know now, you know, being in my late 40s, I understand why chronologically there is something about that stage in life that gives you that freedom. But I still hold on to this hope that we can give, pass on, impart, encourage that in our girls younger so they can own that fire younger in life. So you, I wanted to ask you, I'm kind of always asking everyone that I talk to this question in some form or another. What made you the way that you are in terms of your advocacy for people, your ability to see people and young people? I've, I've watched you seeing young people and recognizing their greatness and their humanity, even when they're making bad choices. You know, that was one of the things that you were absolutely a forerunner with 
when we worked together in our, you know, your former school district and my current one, that you saw ways to humanize students who struggle with their behavior. You saw ways to show them that there is more to them than their behavior. And I remember under your leadership was the first time I ever heard the term like mental health applied to black and brown students. Prior to that, mostly it was all about pathology. It was all about, you know, what's wrong with you? What's wrong with your neighborhood? You know, a deficit model. You are the first person who caused me to give permission to use the term mental health and apply it to young people who look like me. I hadn't really seen people doing that. So anyway, you know, where did this start for you? Yeah, I mean, I think in some people, we are just more service oriented. That's, you know, one of our characteristics, one of our gifts. And I think that I've always been a service oriented person. And when I say service oriented, meaning, you know, I really want to make sure that I'm pouring into others because I do realize that my time here is is limited. And so you'll hear sometimes people say, you know, when, what matters in life is that dash in between the day you're born and the day you die. There's that dash that goes in between. And so, you know, it really what matters is what you're doing in that in between time. And, you know, I am always thinking like, what can I pour in that can continue to grow and continue to, you know, plant seeds long after I'm gone because I only have a short amount of time. Now, what triggered that for me was, you know, when I was 21 years old, I shared this story widely that my my brother passed away suddenly at age 17. And, you know, I was in college. My brother was a junior at in high school. He died. He was on the basketball team. He died of meningitis. And so it was very sudden. And when he passed away, there really wasn't a lot of information out about bacterial meningitis. I mean, there's a vaccine now. So it was kind of like not just a shock that all of a sudden my brother had passed away at age 17. But then it was like, I don't even understand, you know, it wasn't like it was a car accident and it, it was a common, you know, I could make the connections. It was this unknown disease that I had never heard of, you know. So for me, that triggered and said, wow, life is really short. So, you know, I, from that moment, I never believed when people say, oh, you have to do your time or you're not old enough to do that or you don't have enough experience to do that because I, I started to say, well, what am, I, what am I waiting for? There's no guarantee that I'm going to make it to 30. There's no guarantee that I'm going to make it to 40. So, you know, I just really started to embrace life as the here and now because that's what I had. So. When I see children that that I work with that are struggling, you know, with things like behavior or, you know, academics, it's because they lack a skill and we haven't poured into them enough so that they're able to, you know, achieve at whatever that level is. It's, you know, socially or, you know, a lot of times now I'm dealing more with some of the adolescents and, you know, they're they're when you talk about mental health, they're usually blocking or trying to avoid something, right? Which is a natural thing to do. Adults do that too. We yes. we want to avoid a feeling. We want to avoid going through grief. We want to avoid paying a bill. So we'll do all of these other things to, to avoid it instead of getting down to the root cause and say, you know what? 
when something like this happens, what are the healthy ways that you can deal with them and continue mm-hmm. life, continue functioning and continuing to do good in the world and not. Wow. So there was a lot that you said there. You know, you're the second person I've heard. I listened to another podcast episode that someone was on and she's a powerhouse. She shared, you know, just like you, she's she's a powerhouse and she shared that there was a death unexpected. And after that, it was a, a catalyst for her to realize that like you said, no day is promised. I've got to make it happen. And so perhaps if we looked at the patterns of some of the people that we admire the most, you know, in society, maybe we would find if we dug into their stories that something tragic, something unexpected, something traumatic came into their life when they didn't expect it and caused a shift in their thinking that was cataclysmic. And because of that, they ended up doing things that others maybe at their age band or whatever weren't doing, but that radically improved the quality of life for others because of the work that they were doing. And that's what I see in what you're saying. And so it's almost like, I'm so glad I'm hearing this story. And, you know, I know it was a long time ago, but, you know, your condolences for the loss of your brother, because that's never, never easy. But I now understand more about why you have always shown up so fearless in the spaces that I've seen you because it was not that you were trying to be a superhero necessarily, but there was something pushing you to make sure that there was no wasted time in your life, no wasted opportunity. And so that overshadowed maybe the fear that you could have felt doing this thing or that thing, like it was a small thing compared to the urgency of moving in your purpose. Would that be accurate to say? Yes. And I have a quote that I have in office that says, you know, make make your faith be bigger than your fear. And, you know, that does guide me because again, you know, fear can hold us back from from so much. And again, like I said, I, I spend a lot of time with, um, older people. And when I say older, I mean, even into their nineties. Mm-hmm. And and I just love sitting down talking with them. And it's, it's a different conversation when you talk to someone who says, wish I would have done this. You know, if I would have, if I were your age, I, you should go do this because I didn't get a chance to do this versus the the person who says, oh yeah, I, I, I took every opportunity that was ahead of me. Like I have no regrets. You know, I've even had some people say, like, I've lived a good life. I can't really, you know, say that I've missed anything. So I just want to be that person that says, you know, I didn't, I, sh- I, you have to what? You have to sh- at least try to shoot the shot in order to make it, right? Mm-hmm. So if that opportunity comes, sometimes you only get one shot. So, and we have to live with those decisions. And sometimes we make the right decision and sometimes we we make the wrong decision. But I think with, with all of us and especially with our young girls, it is imperative that we help them understand not only that they should not, you know, dim themselves down, dumb themselves down, that they should take those shots, but they need to do it responsibly Mm -hmm. uh, and make sure that they're also making choices that are going to put them in a better position and not in a 
worst position. That, that right there. And what I hear from what you're saying there is recognizing and honoring the power of wisdom. I think wisdom is a term we don't hear a lot in society right now. And, you know, this podcast is for everyone, but my frame of reference, I do use in my life day to day. And so I will say that in the Bible, wisdom is characterized as a female and folly, you know, foolishness is also characterized as a female, which says to me that, you know, when wisdom is personified, like in Proverbs and it says wisdom cries out in the streets and so forth, it's a, it's a woman, it's a she. And that says to me that this ability to pay attention to what's going on, to be kind of discerning of our environment and our opportunities, you know, the challenges, the dangers, to weigh it all out, to make good decisions, you know, to either do that or not do that is all in the purview of womanhood, girlhood. And I think that's very powerful. So go ahead. Now, I was going to add too, I think that, you know, this concept of sweet fire also gives us the, the freedom to share our stories. You know, a lot of times I will sit down and talk with young women, mostly, you know, the high school girls, uh, they all want to talk to me. This is when I was assistant superintendent. And, you know, now as superintendent, I've already been to speak with groups of girls, high school girls. And, you know, I'm very candid about, you know, the challenges that I have had throughout my life, because I think that young girls see me and they say, oh, she's a superintendent and, you know, she she's not like me. She's not, you know, she's not a common folk or she doesn't have a story. She's she's not in my league. So when I am transparent about those stories, you know, you can see in the girl's eyes as they're listening, like, oh, wow, I can connect with that or I can connect with that. And I think sometimes as women, you know, we we reach a certain level of success, but we don't want to tell the steps and the story of how we got mm-hmm. there because we feel like it is it is a negative thing on us. It's a knock on us because we failed or we yeah. we didn't do it the first time or we didn't get there in you know, one year took us five years to get there. But I think young, young girls need to hear that. And when we share our stories and we're transparent with each other and we're true to each other about our stories without embarrassment, then we actually can take a piece of our fire and relight those fires in others. Hey, I love that. The way you just said that is so powerful. And it's a courageous thing. It's a vulnerable thing. But it's like you said, it's a freeing thing to be able to not be bound by our past failures, but also to be able to share them with someone else. I mean, and fuel their fire and their stamina stories. Right. So I think that's so powerful. You just said something that I just wanted to speak to real quick. You talked about girls seeing you and saying she's not in my league. I think that. You and I grew up in the hip hop generation. And, you know, we saw hip hop be a lot of things, but what we see it being now is a very interesting turn. And I think not just hip hop, but the culture in general is encouraging girls to compete with each other, to, you know, compare. And of course, social media is a whole thing. And this idea that she's not in my league, or I don't want you to be in my league. My such and such is better than yours. I don't, uh, I don't ascribe to that. Like I don't, 
post on social media to celebrate myself by saying my such and such is better than yours. There's something about that that doesn't connect with me. But what I'm trying to say is this idea that she's not in my league. I have watched you deliberately ensure that people understand that your league is attainable. Your league is a space where you open it up to other people. You're not trying to be, you know, on a pedestal in an ivory tower in your league by yourself and with your friends. But I have noticed that everybody doesn't think like you. There are some people I know who are accomplished and very distant, very inaccessible. They feel like maybe that's what they're supposed to do. The, the more accomplished they become, the more inaccessible they're supposed to be. You have always been down to earth, even though you've achieved a lot of things. What would you say to girls and women about the freedom that comes with that or why that's important? Well, I think it's important for you to, to be authentic to your own true self in that way. You don't have to worry about, you know, someone uncovering something about you and, you know, trying to mar your name in public or or whatever that might be. But I just really think that, you know, transparency, trust, making connections with people, especially when you're in leadership roles, is really critical. And, you know, I always I've been trying to build relationships, you know, as a new superintendent. And I feel it's important for people to actually see me, for people to hear from me. You know, I don't want them to have wonderings. I want them to be able to have a specific incidents or, you know, recollections of, yeah, we saw her here. We had a conversation here or, you know, she said this and you heard it directly from me. And then it kind of removes some of that gray area and ability to tear down because there's always going to, there's always going to, going to be that those negative factors out there. So, you know, you always want to try to stay ahead of them and you can't do it in an inauthentic way. You have to figure out what you're comfortable with, what you're not comfortable with, and then you have to run with it and go with it. But you have to embrace it. You have to embrace who you are and you have to be okay with it because, you know, even as a superintendent, there there is the school of thought that you have to go up the chain of command, right? Or you can't go directly to the superintendent. Well, you're maybe there is a chain of command, but even if you do go to the superintendent, at least we'll get you to the right steps. Because lots of times people don't even really know, you know, systems and, and how systems work. But part of the, the role that we have to do, even with our students and families and sometimes staff, is we have to help them understand what's the appropriate way to get your voice heard. Because really at the end of the day, everybody wants to have their voice heard. And so I try to just make that a comfortable space for people and say, you know, if you want to tell me how you feel, everyone's entitled to their opinion and there's not going to be retaliation here. I'm not going to say, you should not have spoken like that. I'm going to come after you. But unfortunately it has happened. So that's where you have to do those 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 counters to that. I just recently was at a, a PD and they were explaining like when you meet new people or you go into a new organization, you know, you can't go in and just start, you know, calling shots and making changes. And he described it as you have to build up relational trust. And it's almost like having a bank account. When you go into a new space, 
you have a negative balance because you haven't had enough of those positive interactions. And he even also described that as a leader, especially if you're at a level like a superintendent or principal, you have to make two positive interactions to the one that comes to you. So it's almost like you have to, you do have to go above and beyond. But then once you get into that positive bank account and you're in, you're, you're not negative anymore, then you're able to start to have these conversations that we're talking about where you can be transparent and you can share your story and you can, because you have that trust built, then people are going to understand where you're coming from, which would be a positive intent. That's good. So you spend that time to nurture the relationship and then you get to the place where you know kind of instinctively how much transparency you can share to help them get to know you even better and trust who you are as a person even in your role. Yeah, and sometimes I think it's just that we don't understand where each of us is coming from. You know, a lot of my work is, you know, teacher may not agree with the decision that I make as a superintendent. I may not agree with the decision they make. But if we can come together and have those conversations, I can at least understand, you know, where they're coming from and how they see it. But they can also understand where I'm coming from. Sometimes we meet in the middle. Sometimes we agree to disagree. But it's the same concept with uh, women and us coming together. Because, again, you know, when you look over time, you know, I do have a lot of friends that I've had since high school and college, which, you know, Again, that takes a lot of work. Yes. But we have had a lot, those long friendships that I've had, we've had a lot of conversations. We're not alike. We didn't come from the same backgrounds. We don't agree on a lot of things, but we have those conversations and we respect each other. And it has helped us understand each other at a much deeper level, which I believe is what has caused us to remain such close friends over the years. It's because we've gotten to that space. I'm not afraid to share with you what I'm going through. I'm not afraid to tell you that I'm struggling right now. And again, that's the time for my friends to come through and say, oh, we got to go. We got to go give Olympia. We got to go light, light it. I think about, you know, we used to be at church and we would light the candles at Christmas Eve and everything, you know, and somebody would get a little bit of wind and their fire would go out. Right. Mm-hmm. And then somebody would come from the other aisle and say, oh, here, let me light your let me light your candle, right? You, you never know when that draft is coming or if you got enough fire on the wick. So Ooh. that's the way I look at it with my, you know, my, my friendship. They're, they're more like family to me than people that I've met and built a relationship for because now we've been together for so long. It's like, we just instinctively know. I haven't heard from Olympia in a while. I better check in with her. And again, it's those things that just my fire might be going down to a flicker, but then someone else comes in and reignites that light and then I'm up and running again. And that's the mindset that we need to have as women, as even, like I said, working with, as I'm working as a superintendent, you know, relighting fires with families, relighting fires with students, relighting fires with staff. And in turn, they can also do that for me. I love that. That's that mutuality. That's that mutual respect where people will go above and beyond for you, you know, whoever you are or whatever side of the, the, the aisle or the role when you have that kind of connection. I think that's so powerful. And I love 
the imagery of, you know, you never know when a draft is coming, like you said, but we need to be at the ready to kind of watch each other's flames. Like, oh, she needs a little bit more. He needs a little bit more, you know, and I think that's amazing. So we are getting close to our end here, but I do have two quick questions. Hi. What is one of the best pieces of advice an older woman has given you? Because you mentioned being around a lot of seniors. Mm -hmm. I think probably the best is just don't have any regrets, you know, and and when the person that I heard that from also told me to, you know, pray about everything and that, you know, those things will come to light. So, you know, consult, pray, go with your gut. Don't have any regrets. Because again, I think that gut feeling is that sweet fire inside of us. And I always talk to young girls. Unfortunately, a lot of the young girls that I talk to are are in trouble. They're at the expulsion table. And, you know, I, I always say, did you have something in your gut, a little feeling that said, maybe I shouldn't do this? And, you know, they always say yes. And I said, well, that's called your conscience. It's a little thing inside of you. You should listen to it. If it tells you, hey, maybe I shouldn't go into this place or, you know, maybe I should tell an adult, you know, those are things that you really should listen to. And I think, again, even as adults, we often ignore that that inner conscience that tells us that we probably should do something or we probably shouldn't do something. And, you know, I just think that it's important for us to take a pause, take that time to reflect. And then once you make your decision, be okay with that decision, no matter what the outcome is. That's good. And that confidence, what I hear you saying, comes from knowing and being familiar with your conscience and being able to hear and respond to it. And I love the way you put conscience on the table as a definition for a sweet fire, because that's definitely a good way of describing it, you know, and it's something that can be drowned out. The voice can be drowned out by all the noise and everybody else's opinions and stereotypes and labels and their desires for you to, you know, come with us, let's do this. But like you said, you have to be able to hear basically that still small voice on the inside. Now, is there anything else that you would say to younger sweet fires who are along the journey? You've dropped a lot of wisdom. And I love that you said that even at the expulsion table, you're pouring out life and, and encouragement for what to do next time for the young ladies. But anything you want to say to young ladies? Well, I would say, number one, don't ever give up. As long as you keep trying, you will keep going. I also encourage young women, young girls to find a trusted adult that they admire, that they look up to, that they can trust and talk to. That doesn't have to be someone in your family. It could be a teacher, it could be a principal, it could be someone in your community, someone at your church. But I do think it's important for us to make those connections. And I also, because I know how much it has poured into me, I encourage young girls to build relationships with some of the seniors, either in their family, or I encourage them to go possibly volunteer at some of the nursing homes. I mean, most you can do a lot of that easily. And I think that it, you would learn a lot from it. And last but not least, I would just say, don't let anyone tell you what you can or can not do. All of us have the potential to grow 
And we all will have start and stop points throughout life. And yes, we will have those drafts that come that knock us down. It's just a part of life. But what really matters is, you know, how do you bounce back from that, which is what we call resilience. So don't think that, you know, when you get to a certain age, when I turn 18, I'm not going to have trials and tribulations and challenges in life. Oh, when I turn 40, everything's going to be sweet. I'm not. No, none of us is exempt from the challenges that life will bring. And the only thing that we have 100% control of is the way that we respond and the things that we do after those events occur. So it's really up to you. And you can't let anyone tell you what you can or cannot do. If you have the determination and the drive and you continue to work towards your goals and your dreams, you will achieve them. I love it. Well, thank you so much for spending some time here with me today and for dropping all these nuggets of wisdom. And I just really appreciate you and I celebrate everything you're doing day to day. And thank you for letting your fire light up the world. You are most welcome anytime. Thank you for joining us. It is our hope that you have been inspired, encouraged, and most of all, empowered to keep letting your fire light up the world. See you next time.